Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo and Paul. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 39 of the PD Sports Podcast. And once again, we've had a monstrous week in sport with plenty to talk about. Damo, what's been happening, mate? Not much at all. Feels weird to have a day off during the week, you know. I'm just sitting around and I'm like, well, let's do a pod. Um, And the week of sport has kind of needed to be, you know, you needed a day off to just absorb it all, I feel. Because it's been so much has gone on since we last had a chat on the pod. And, oh, just, yeah, uh, some unbelievable viewing is what I would say. Yeah, it's been nice that some other sports are doing some of the heavy lifting over the last week or so, which is nice to see. It's not just football, football, football. There's been plenty happening in the world of cricket and there's been plenty happening in the world of motorsport as well. So I'm very, very excited to sort of pick apart what's happened over the last week because it's been... It's been different, I think. And it's I think, always nice when it's different. Where do you want to start? Well, do you want to start F1? Do you want to start um, with cricket? Do we want to just give a quick rundown about what's going on with like COVID and Premier League and then we can just cut away and just kind of say, like, oh, yeah. you know, you guys must be sick of us just talking Premier League every week. At least we spend five minutes on it right now and then you guys get a podcast. Yeah, let's get out of the way. Like Ashes and Formula One talk because there's a lot to talk about. Um, I'm going to start. I want to start deal. with City this morning because that's probably the best Premier League performance I've ever seen. Uh, they put seven pass leads, and it yeah. could have been like fifteen. It was for Messler and goals. It was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, and some of the goals that City scored were bloody unbelievable as well. De Bruyne oh. second is an absolute rocket. That is like thing, never no keeper yeah, stopping you, that. You look at it, and your first glance like it's like middle of the goal, roof of the net. Like the keeper should do better, but then you realise how how quick that's come. Messler's at full stretch, and he's not getting near it. It's yeah. ridiculous. What a hit! Um, but yeah, like. I thought Leeds were really poor. I'm going to put that out there. But, um, yeah, City just look like on another planet. If they play like this, they're winning everything. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just whether they can maintain it. Because during, or over the weekend, I should yeah. say, they didn't look they didn't look amazing against no, Wolves. They struggled to create anything. The penalty that they got probably wasn't a penalty, but they had one turn down that probably she was. And then... Jimenez kind of just gave him the game. That's yeah, how I, I felt. Too. Like his stupid red card, like it's just unheard of. So, you know, I think they've sort of come out with a bit of aggression based off of off of I that. Think I so think too. there's just a bit, yeah, a bit disappointed with their yeah. result there. For for Liverpool, one 0 win against Villa will take Dangerous that all day game. long. Villa won um, again this morning as well. So Stevie doing wonders, but um, yeah, I brought in Ollie Watkins into my fantasy Smart. team last night. Smart. So a goal and an assist, Smart. very nice. Um, we'll take that all day long. So look from a Premier League perspective, obviously I've heard there's rumblings that Man United's not yeah, playing. Yeah, so their game got postponed this morning. They did not play. Um, United have had COVID cases confirmed. Um, apparently the yeah. cases that have come out of Spurs include Son and Lucas Mora, but that was over a week ago, and I don't know if they tested positive or negative for this upcoming game that is oh, meant to go it. ahead against Leicester. But as it stands, that game's going ahead, and everyone from Spurs is available from what is said. But the big thing is it's the Omicron yeah. variant, and like half of like England is just basically shutting down at the minute. The question is, is the Premier League yeah. had like Spurs be rocked by it, they haven't even got back in full-time training. They've got to play a game on the Friday. United's copped it, obviously. Brentford had their moment with Ivan Tony copping it. Is, is it getting to a stage where the Premier League may as well just go, look, it's Christmas time, give them, a, give them a couple of weeks off, enjoy Christmas, come back, you know, come back on like the 28th for, for the New Year's games and just say, look, just let's get on top of it before it spreads out of control? The issue is there's just so many games in this period that are scheduled. Like, if they don't... It sounds stupid, but if they don't play them, because this is what the Premier League has done to themselves, yeah. if they don't play them, then they're just not going to ever catch up because the teams still have to play for like three games before Christmas, yeah. you know what I mean? So like, where do you fit that in amongst World Cup you know, qualifiers and other international games that have to go on as well? It's just There's going to be a period where it's just not going to be sustainable. I'd love there to be a break because the players probably deserve it, but... I just don't see a world where they can fit a three-week break in just to let this calm down. And then the other concern is who knows what's going to happen with yeah Omicron over the next three weeks as well. It might just go mental and then the three weeks become six and six becomes yeah, nine. Yeah, so I'm so, under that view that if they stop it, 
then it's pretty much like we're at the mercy of whenever it all calms down. We just don't know when that is. At the minute, yeah. it's Spurs. Brentford have had their issues, but have been able to play because Tony's been isolating. Um, and then obviously United now have copped it throughout the whole first team squad in terms of that there was a infection at the training ground and they don't know how many players are going to be affected, etc. It's why the game was postponed this morning. It's more a question of, right, those teams there aren't copying it. Some teams are, you know, are completely safe. Like Liverpool, for instance, haven't had any issues. And, uh, you know, teams that played this morning, like Villa, City, etc. It's more of a question of, well, if the three teams that haven't been playing, which is Brentford, Leicester and United, don't play... How many games does that impact? And then they've got to schedule in those. I think that's a better way to have those games scheduled in and let the teams that are fit being able to play. But only problem is, is say, where are you going to fit in the rest of the games where it's like, say, for instance, United-Liverpool is about to be next week, for instance. When do you fit that game in with the schedule of Champions League, Europa League, Cabaret Cup, FA Cup? Conference Yeah, it's a bit interesting to see what goes on. And... I'm on the fence because I'm like a couple of weeks off. They get on top of it. No one's infected. All the infected players are home. Uh, keep but I feel like they'll play, and it's either going to go one or two ways. Either it's just going to be these clubs, and they've got to do well just to manage it, and then it'll be okay. Or these clubs are going to pass on to someone else, and then they're going to play a game against a whole other team, and then it's going to get you know that it's just going to you know get out of control. The big question is: Are players in their own bubbles at the moment, regardless? Because if they're mingling in society, yep. then that needs to stop. If they really care, then that needs to stop. And Yes, it's not good for the players' well-being to be isolated from everybody, but if, if the Premier League want a season to go ahead as scheduled, their, their lives need to be go to training, go 100%. to game, go to training, 100%. go to game. And that, that's not fair on the players because they are human beings, but you know, if that's the position that it's going to go into, and I'm not condoning it, but that's where I see it going. I see it literally going that no one's allowed to integrate. Fans will no longer be at games. Season ticket holders will get compensated for half yeah. a season. And we go back to how it was behind closed doors. And is it a sh- worse product? Yeah, it is. Like, I didn't enjoy watching it last it. year without fans. So, I don't know. I, I think that's where it's going, to be honest. And, you know, we've seen in Germany it's already happened. So, uh, it's at a point where... I think that's inevitable. So it's a bit disappointing, but anyway, it is what it is. And we'll cover it, obviously, in the next couple of weeks as things start to to ramp up towards Christmas. Yeah. Alrighty. F1 time, I think. Because this this was the big, yeah, this is the big one. So I'm going to assume that everyone listening knows the outcome of the race, but if you don't, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton were going into the final race tied on points. Verstappen just need to better Lewis Hamilton to win the championship. And from the line, I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, he's crumbled here. On lap one, he's been passed by Lewis Hamilton and pretty well didn't look like getting near him the whole race, I'd have to say. Bar the one part where um, Perez was able to Bring back, that bring so, down how Lewis good Hamilton. Was that? He, he lost eight seconds yeah. in one lap because Perez is a god. Like, and the thing yeah, is, exactly. is, he knew how to be defensive but fair, and that his re-overtake, he could so easily. There's like one and a half car lengths of room, and he still manages to fit his whole car there. He could easily just take him out, like Hamilton. There's an easily coming together, and you got to give Hamilton credit because he left enough room, and you got to give Perez credit for just licking the stamp and sending it. It was ridiculous. And yeah. I, I love watching it. I thought it was Perez great. was driver of the day, apart from. Kimi retiring, hence why he won it. But uh, yeah, I yeah. thought if the Stappen doesn't win this title for that moment there too, because you know, oh, just yeah, it, it was ridiculous. Well, then the other the other thing that I sort of noticed after that all happened, and Verstappen got within a second, but he just couldn't stay with Hamilton at all. Like it was almost his car didn't have the guts to to go with him because track. he then blew it back yeah. out. Well, it it just blew back out to another eight eight or nine second lead anyway, which caused the the only way he Verstappen was getting back into this race was a crash and what with five laps to go that's yeah. what happened you know so Verstappen has uh, Nicholas Latifi to thank just who's as much a, as he does Sergio who's a Perez driving because, with a Mercedes engine I love it yeah and if that crash doesn't happen there's no way Verstappen gets near Hamilton for the yeah. rest of the race that was for me that was the the inevitable point and obviously you consider both those factors yeah. together you put Perez and Latifi and that's what gave Max that opportunity then 
with the restart, this is where the drama is. Um, so by this stage, it's about 12.30 here in Australia in the morning. I'm kind of on my phone. I'm kind of watching. I'm kind of half asleep. I initially hear that there's going to be no overtaking. So I just immediately go, oh, well, race is done. I sort of switch off a little bit. And then all I hear is we're racing and I look up and I only see the five cars in between. Now, this is where I sort of got lost because I didn't understand why it was just those five that correct. Because Max was further back, wasn't he, at that point? So he, there was five cars Correct. in between Hamilton and Verstappen. Yeah. So what they've then done is they've allowed those five cars to get out of the way, overtake the safety yeah. car so that Max and Lewis yeah. could race. And then obviously that doesn't sound... like when, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make the okay. most sense. But what's ended up happening is if they allowed every car to get out of the way, there wasn't enough laps to Correct. facilitate a race. And... I liked the way that the race director then um, said it, said we're here to, you know, we're having a race, we're here to race cars, we're not here to, yeah, we're not here to finish behind a safety car, and obviously old mate Tito wasn't happy about that, who's the team principal of Mercedes, but for the spectacle, you don't want your seeds in finishing behind a safety car, so I, I get it from that perspective. My big question is, what is the actual rule? Is the rule that everyone needs to pass, or is it the? Yeah, and this I've is the got problem. The bylaws. I've been listening to it every day because I'm well invested. Yeah. In it. So, I think it's important to note that that's the incident. That's what's gone on, and there's been a lot more to, to it than what Paulie's mentioned. But I feel like Paul's. Then Lewis still had to lose the yeah, race as well. So yeah, I add that in. We, Max still had to yeah, overtake and I think him. Paul's been so. failed to mention that Red Bull. It wasn't like it was a straight fight either. Like Red Bull pitted under the safety car because they could to put on fresh softs. Yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Ha- well, Hamilton can't pit. And there's reasons why Hamilton can't pit, and I'll tell you those reasons in a second. What I like, though, here is that there's going to be a difference of opinion because Paulie is the first one to mention. He's a bit of a fun watch on Formula 1. He watches the occasional race, etc., etc. And then I feel like for people that don't know my background, my uncle was a marshal, was a Cam's marshal, um, has been a race director for Porsche, Carre- Porsche Carreras here in Australia. Um, I've done some marshalling myself at the Clipsal. Um, and in terms of Formula One, I have watched the 1970 to 1980, I reckon, four like one-hour reviews. And then on Daily Motion, you can watch 84 through to 2010, four-hour season-long reviews. So I've probably have watched, in terms of Formula One, from 1970 to 2010, every championship in some capacity, and then from 2010 through to now, most, to, if not all races per season. So I'm like the very experienced viewer that knows what's going on, know about the ICA, where the appeal may go. I know other incidents that have gone to the ICA. So it's going to be interesting in this pod because we've got to get Paul's view, who's the fun, who's the fun fan, and me that is a bit of the F- F1 boffin, so to say. Um, so Paul, without going into too many details and what maybe my arguments and the drama that could happen and did happen in the race in terms of my view. What did you think from a spectacle yeah. point of view as a fan, as someone that watches the occasional race, what did you like what happened? Did you like what you saw? I mean, it's just, I don't know. It was one of those ones where it just didn't feel, it didn't feel right. Like as I sort of alluded to, if it was done in the letter of the law, I wouldn't have an issue with it, but it just didn't seem... like For someone that doesn't know the ins and outs of yep. all the rules, it seemed like they just cleared the way so we could have a lap, you yep. know, to have a talking point, and that's yep. how it felt. Did I enjoy it? Oh, yes, I, I did enjoy it, because it got me off It got me off yep. my chair at, you know, 12.30 in the morning, like, screaming at the TV because I didn't want Lewis to win another title. So, for me, it was like, I enjoyed the end of it, but I was like... If that was me and it wasn't the process wasn't done the way it was meant to, I'd be as filthy as Mercedes are. So I understand why they're going, what the yeah. hell? Because it happens so fast yeah. as well. And they initially said they weren't going to do it, then they're going to do it. Like it all just seemed like it happened really, really yeah. quickly. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I felt about that uh, in particular, but I like the ending from a neutral, yeah. <laughs> but it was just. It didn't see, it didn't sit right with me that it was kind of not rushed, but it was like shit. All right, we need, we can't finish like this. Let's yeah. just do it, and that's how I it felt. You. Really, that's how it came I across. So, 
I like that we get that view from Paul. And I think the big thing to take out there, from a spectacle point of view, and I am going to say, I was out of my bed watching this race going, I know what's about to happen here. Either they're going to come together, Hamilton's going to manufacture an accident and hope he limps to the line in the top 10 to win it and then let it go to appeal if he gets disqualified or not. Or Verstappen's going to get him. And Verstappen should get him. And Verstappen did get him, right? Which was nice. Yeah. I think from the spectacle point of view, and Paul mentions it nicely, to watch was great. Is it right? There's reason to say no and there's a reason to say yes and I've obviously got reasons as to why yes and no it is but I think in terms of Formula 1 the brand it's good that we had that sort of ending and that sort of drama because it's got to promote next season in a bigger bigger light and I think that's massive so I'm happy we get Paul's view is what I'm trying to say in the neutral there's a lot of neutrals that didn't understand what was going on there's a lot of people in Britain that can't fathom what happened there's a lot of people from around the rest of the world and I think it's important before I get into my version of what's going on and what's happened and what's going to happen. I'm actually one of the very few that wanted Hamilton to win this race because I wanted to see the eighth title. I've got a sneaky suspicion if he won the eighth title, he would have just probably broke his own contract and maybe have retired um, under the opinion that Hamilton doesn't get enough love because he's driven for Mercedes. I still think he's one of the best drivers that ever drive, drove in Formula 1. I'm not yeah. going to say he's the best. I agree with that. I'm not going to say he's the best. I'll have my reasons to who is the best. But you don't he win seven. Again. You don't win seven though. And there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot of so. people that go, oh, he wouldn't have seven. He wouldn't have two if he uh, if uh, he didn't drive for Mercedes. And I go, well, he should have won the title. And his rookie year in 07 would have been the only driver in a rookie as a rookie to win the championship. And it's only because him and Alonso kept tripping up over each other. And then in 08 became the youngest F1 champion in history in his second year to win on what was arguably the second greatest now final lap to ever happen in Formula 1. So I'm going to take you back to the incident. The incident happens at turn 14. It is five or six laps to go in the race when it happens. Two things... I think it was the fifth Two things happen here, right? First thing, under the rules and regulations, when the safety car leaves the pit lane, the pit lane is therefore closed with a red light, meaning no one can enter. Any driver that does enter or leave the pit lane, if it was down the other end, right, under a red light is automatically disqualified. At the time of the... He's done that earlier yeah. like, this season or last before. season. Done, I can't remember. Yeah, he's he done, it's happened before. It's happened I remember it, before the Hamilton. Might have been last season when, what's his name? G- uh, yeah. Gasly won his yeah. race. Yeah, didn't he, he did. enter yeah. on a red and light? So he yeah. get disqualified. Unfortunately for Hamilton, and this is the thing, it's a series of events where it's like the sporting gods looked down at step and said, here you go, right? Here it is. Here's your title. Um, Hamilton's coming around like the final bend. He can't get into the pits now. He, he's not allowed in, right? First thing. The, the lane goes green. Red Bull, no. Well, Hamilton has to stay out. We may as well gamble because we're coming out a second. Second thing is that happens here. It happens at turn 14. And Massey was asked by Sky Sports after qualifying, we've seen a couple of big incidents at turn 14. If there's an incident at turn 14, are you going to red flag the race? He said no. Reasons why we can get it off safely, clean it up, everything. Without going into too much detail, the best thing that happened for Formula 1 here was a red flag incident. They red flag it. You get four laps of racing because you take one lap off. Right, you get four laps of racing, yeah. and the rule you clean get it all, up. all up, and the rules are it's a grid restart, and the drivers can put yeah. on whatever tyres they like, and you would have had four laps of Verstappen and Hamilton on fresh softs to do the title. That would have been the best way, yeah. and I think a lot of people either way would have lived with that, going, you know what, red flag. It's, it's fair. fair. You've got four laps as a sprint. Off you go. And Massey didn't do it. And Massey didn't do it because from a safety perspective and in terms of a flow of a race, as a race director, he's gone, well, by the letter of the law, it's not a red flag incident. I can clean that up. It's safe. But he probably didn't take into fact what's going on. Anyhow, that's my, my gripe of it is that it was a red flag. Then we get to the stage where, okay, the pit lane's open. Does Hamilton pit now? He can't. If Hamilton pits and it finishes under safety car, he's behind Verstappen. Yeah, he's on fresher tyres, but if it goes how they will calculate it there in the Mercedes garage, well, it's going to take this long to do yeah. it, and they've got to allow all these overlap cars to do it. It's going to take you know four to five laps for it to finish, and if it's four laps, the safety car comes in, and it's a 200-metre sprint from the safety car line to the pit start straight. We don't lose that. We win the championship, or it finishes under the safety car itself. So we can't pit now because we pit, we hand the stuff in the title. If we stay out, we win the car, we win the race on the safety car, we win the championship. So now Hamilton can't pit forever. Yeah. Verstappen knows that I'm in traffic, but I'm going to have softs. This is my issue with what happened throughout the Grand Prix and my issue that what happened in here is initially Massey said the lap cars weren't going to overtake. Now, the reason why Massey said that 
is because Massey was like, well, if they overtake, it's going to take too long. If we leave the traffic out there, at least we're going to get a lap of racing. Only problem is Verstappen's five cars behind. So by the time he gets through five cars, unless they all pull off the side of the road, which they're not going to do because they're racing each other, right? Then yeah. we don't get a fight, right? Now, for Mercedes, we win the championship. Game over, thank you very much. It's a, not the way that I think Hamilton wanted to win or whatever, but they win it, right? Yeah. What the issue is here is there's some bylaws. Massey then says the five cars can go through, and the laws do stay on the law 48 bylaw, I think 1.2 and then 1.3, if I'm not mistaken, is that if the race director decides, the race director can decide to allow the overlap cars to go or not, then it's all the cars on the one lap behind have to go and take past the safety car. Not just get past the safety car. They have to get to a period away from the safety car where they will not be caught past the restart. And that's where bylaw 1.3 comes yeah. in and it says, well, okay, if the race director makes that decision and says that cars are going to go, right, they then have to wait for the next lap to take in the safety car because it allows for those cars to get further enough down the road so there's not an incident to, that could happen with the, the guys on the lead lap catching them, right? Yeah. Only problem is, we're that close to the end of the Grand Prix if you wait to lapse the final lap of the race. So you don't get a lap, right? So Massey then does and does yeah. what he does. He has the five cars through. And obviously, he probably doesn't take into a fact that Verstappen's pitted Hamilton has it. You basically just handed Verstappen the title, right? Unfortunately for Hamilton and all the Hamilton fans, they can appeal it and they have rights to appeal it because by the laws, technically they've been hard dealt by. But there is a law in, 15, in law 15.1 Right, that does say the race director can use the safety car any way he wishes. Now, does that mean he can change the safety car process of their lap cars going through and not, and you know, only allowing five, not the full set, etc.? No, but it does say that he's allowed to pull the safety car in when he believes, and it oversees anything yeah. else. So, has Massey broken a rule? No. Has Massey bent a rule? He's bent the rule with overtaking the cars, but he hasn't. He has. He yeah. doesn't have to leave the safety car out there. If he wants the safety car to come in that lap. He can do it because he's the race director. So there's a few gray areas. My personal opinion is from what I'm hearing, Mercedes appealed again. It was rejected. And it's up to them if they want to take it to court now, which is the ICA, which is an independent have tried yeah, already. It's an independent court process of seven judges that are not with the FIA to make decisions. And there's been plenty down the past with Formula One. 1999 with Ferrari in the second to last race of the season before Suzuka, where Ferrari was disqualified from the race because their wing was 10 mil too wide. Then they took it to court, realised that people that were scrutinising didn't use the right equipment. Thrown out, Ferrari then went into the final race of the season being ahead in the championship instead of behind McLaren. But Hacken won the race anyway in the final race to win the title. And there's been others. There's been others in 2020 that you never heard of where, you know, they've gone to the ICA to go, hang on, I don't want like this, you know, this uh, this decision. You know, there was one where Red Bull last season went to court to say, though, actually, Mercedes broke the rule and it was proved that it was right. And that means that Hamilton got a free grid penalty last year. doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say is that there's ways that this can go to court and it can be heard. Only thing is, is because of law 15.1, that the race director can use the safety car however he wishes. Probably means Verstappen still wins this tour. There's yeah. enough there that Verstappen still wins that title. Do I think it's fair and just? Yeah. By the letter of the law and the letter of regulations, Massey has broken the own letter of the law and letter of the regulations, and thus meaning that I honestly think that, that personally, that as much as it pains me to say it, because I was happy with how it ended, by the letter of the law, and if the RCA wanted to, they could go and say, well, actually, the process here is that that last lap doesn't count. It goes back to the lap before Hamilton wins the championship. I don't want it to see it happen like that. Hamilton yeah. doesn't want it to go like that. Hamilton actually doesn't want Mercedes to appeal. But it sounds like Mercedes are that filthy. They may take it all the way to court. Um, and I just think for the spectator, like yourself, Paul, like that, like for you, that probably deters from what you saw. And I think we've got to leave the spectacle for what the spectacle was. Michael Massey is probably going to lose his job. But I think he's done everything within his power without throwing a red flag, which would have been the best thing to do. It's all hindsight, though. You know, like you're in a pressure mode. Yeah. You have 50 se 15 seconds to make a decision. Do we go behind the safety car or the red flag? Uh, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, credit where credit's due. He's manufactured a race. Is it a manufactured a race that is a fix? I think that's very harsh on him. But has he manufactured a situation where only one person can win the championship? Yeah. R realistically, yeah. Which is not nice, but it made for a great spectacle. And sometimes Formula One, you just got to have the spectacle, don't you? Well, they would just come back and say you had a lap to hold him off. You know never, what I mean? The way Perez, never to, he never, never was, was, 
yeah, but with no DRS, that's how they'd sort of argue it as well. Like, it's just, could, could he do it? He did get to a point where he caught him again. Sort yeah, of, and then Max straight, is, but he was never going to be him. quick enough on yeah. all the tyres to have any traction to hold, hold a passing move there. So, yeah, uh, exactly. the, the big thing that worked against Hamilton in this situation is he couldn't pit because the red flag, the safety, the pit lane was closed in the initial onset. And then by the time yeah. that's happened, Verstappen's pitted, come out, the safety car has caught the safety car. He now comes out in second, can't do it. So, and you've got to remember, yeah. the main reason Mercedes wanted to appeal is they would have factored in how many laps this is going to take from previous experience, what the rules are, and by the rules and everything, they would have worked out to say, well, we actually win this race under the safety car, so we have to stay out. And like, that's yeah. a big, for me, that's so a big thing. Dictated yeah, their yeah, decision. It's yeah. not like they didn't factor that in. It's not like that that didn't make an impact. That was the big thing for them. That's why Total Wolf came on the way to say, this isn't right, this isn't right. Because they made the decision on informative decision based on the rules. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's one of those ones that I've watched enough Formula One that I could see this being overturned. Do I think it will be overturned? It's going to take some strong cojones no. of seven judges who are independent from the FIA to rob someone of their first world championship, considering how the spectacle yeah, was. Yeah, I don't see that. I mean. personally think two things are going to happen. It's going to go to an appellate's call, court and it will be lost or it will be won by Mercedes either way or Mercedes won't follow through and just leave it be. One of the two, right? Yeah. And was it wrong? Yeah. Did I like that it happened? Not going to lie, I did because I thought it was a great spectacle. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's sort of where we almost leave it. It's just, it was really good to watch. Um, but, you know, you feel for, for Lewis in that scenario. So it's going to make next season interesting and it's going to make uh, Drive to Survive uh, Season 4 it's very gonna, interesting to watch. I'd love one, to, yeah, I'd love to see the. Um, the aftermath of, of what happened in the Mercedes chain oh, in the, been, in the garage. As well. And I'm going to say in the aftermath, I know Hamilton doesn't go back to where he's meant to in the first, second, third grid spot. He returns to the grid. I respect it because he actually takes time just to take a second. You usually feel him thinking about what's going on. And he could carry on. He could yeah. you know, go be the sore he, he could do what Prost did in 89 and run straight upstairs to the marshals to complain and sit in the marshals office for hours until there was a protest. Right? He didn't. His dad went straight yeah. to Verstappen and congratulated Verstappen and his dad. And apparently behind closed doors, he went straight into Red Bull as well to give Verstappen a bit of a, you know, well done, mate, right? Which I think is commendable. Yeah. And it shows that the guy does have some class. Yeah, there's a lot of people that hate him. And I'm not going to sit here and say Hamilton's my favourite driver, but it takes a lot of class of a seven-time world champion to go, you know what? So yeah, and apparently from all reports, he's the one that's really against that Mercedes from appealing where everyone else wants to appeal. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good yeah. to hear then. Cool. Well, I think, yeah, as I said before, there's going to be lots of aftermath from all of this stuff, but I reckon we need to shift our discussion to the big prize item that's kicking off yes, tomorrow. It, um, it might be today by the time I get this out because I've got yep. some stuff to do. But the second test is fast approaching, and we did the, f- the last episode we recorded was the, the night of day right. one in Queensland and we kind of said capitulation and I kind of feel that this is going in a very similar way we saw a resurgence on day three which was very short lived on day four was it yeah day four where they lost eight wickets in a session (laughs) and it was they had Root and Milan on decent scores and then in the space of about a couple overs they were both out and then everyone just fell apart so that's where I see this series going like it's if Root and someone else don't stand up then they're going to struggle to make runs it's just it just doesn't look good from a batting perspective for England and their bowling wasn't amazing either so (laughs) it was just I don't see where the X factor is going to come from, particularly with their batting. We can talk about their bowling in a minute, but I don't see who's going to consistently make I, runs. I don't. I like Mar- Marlon and I like Milan and I like Root, obviously. And I think Stokes, obviously, is the one that you look at in the order. I actually like Ollie, Rob- uh, Ollie Robertson, sorry, Ollie Pope. Um, I thought he batted okay first innings. And he's one that maybe suits a bit more Australian conditions because he played great cricket in Australia and made up 100 in South Africa. But... I look at their batting and I go, you know what? Rory Burns has been out nine times in the first over of a test match. Has been, you know, Jeez. four times has been dismissed um, for a duck in a test match. And I'm like, yeah. come on, man. He's an opener. And 
we could talk all about you want that that first ball is swung and that hasn't swung or whatever. He's an opening batsman. It's a it's a good left delivery on your pads on leg stump. I just put that through mid wicket. Yeah, flick put it. that through mid wicket for one or flick it behind square for four if you want. Like I, I someone that faces the first ball for my cricket side because I open. And I'm in some decent nick at the minute, by the way. Um, I, I would love that as my first delivery. Considering I bat an off stump, I'm putting my foot down the wicket. I'm flicking that away for one. I'm going, thank you very much. Let's go. But um, it just summed up England in this test. Where it just got from bad to worse. And yep. a little bit of hope is a hope that kills you. Their batting is an issue. If not, if Roots, yeah, if massive, Roots never made 100 issue. here. If it's not Stokes for me, it's Milan. If it's not Milan, then it's game over, right? So... But they're putting Stokes in such bad situations that he's going to get himself out, though. Like, he's not going to thrive with no one making runs before him, coming in at, you know, three for 30, three for 50. He's never going to make runs. And if he does, they're only going to make 250, 300 as a team total anyway. So it's not, you know, it's it's for nothing. Like, I'd be, you could tell by the way he was bowling. He was getting frustrated. I'd be, if I was him, I'd be so frustrated that I've waited all this time to play and I'm playing with these spuds that can't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, they just can't get it done. And then it puts too much pressure on their bowling. And then we just yeah, pick them off. It, it's it's so, fun to watch. And like, credit where credit's due. Shall stuck and t- stuck tough? Yeah, when, when England turned it, and Root and Marlon come out on day four. If they bat for a long period... We didn't look like getting yeah, a wicket. If they bat for a long yeah. long time, then that test match is well on well on and truly on. And credit to the GOAT, because Nathan Lyon bowled well first innings, no luck. Bowled well on day three. Should have had Marlon out as well. Um, didn't get any luck. And so yeah, the court and bowled. No one knew that hit his glove apart yeah. from Marlon. That's probably the best feeling as a batsman. You know you've hit it. No one's appealed. And he's just going there going, radio. okay. Um... And then, um, you know, bowls a good few good nuts to Marlon, finally gets one and takes three and just proves that, you know, he still is the GOAT. So, yeah. yeah. But, look. I, what are they missing? That's England, the big question. In the first yeah. test, they missed Broad or Anderson or both because I couldn't fathom they didn't play him. And the whole reason that they didn't bat first is because well, they didn't bowl first. Joe Rippard looked at his bowling attack and said, Ollie Robertson's a decent bowler. Wood's okay, but not really for these conditions. And Chris Wokes has moved the ball around a little bit, but doesn't really scare you. Where if that was Anderson, Broad, Archer, and Robertson, uh, I can tell you straight away. Yeah. Where's Archer? Injured. He's done a long-term injury. So, yeah. Okay. He, he's, um, yeah. He's, he hasn't played test cricket for nearly the whole What about year. him? Um if that if that was their bowling attack, I'm telling you right now, Root wins a toss of bowls and says, "Have fun facing that." And if I'm telling yeah. Australia four for thirty themselves, so yeah, look, it'd be interesting because I, we look to Adelaide now, and Adelaide's a great Test match. I'm going on the Saturday. I'm going on day three. Hope the Test match isn't over by then. But England's batting, you never know. Um, and look, I just think that this Test match and all the Test matches could be the one that is the closest. There's reasons to that, but I think. If England don't get it all right here, it's going to be 5 0. Yeah, I'd yeah. agree with that. I said that in the preview that we did last week that I felt it was going in that direction yeah, anyway. Well, so it's just. I predicted yeah, some rain. Losing interest very quickly. Some rain. I actually expected Queensland the Gabba to be a little bit more tightly contested and the rain be a factor and it be a draw because of the rain. But um, that never was the case, which is nice and all well and good. Um, and then. For me, the reason why Adelaide's so important is if you've rested Broad and Anderson, which is apparently premeditated for this exact reason to play this exact test match, if they don't win it, there is egg on their face. Because then you've rested on a pitch that would have done a lot and conditions that would have done a lot on day one. And they then have then lost the test match that they've rested them for. What's What's the plan from there? How do you recover? You don't. Yeah, exactly. From two nil yeah, down as well. In it's Australia, gonna... you'd need a front line spinner, and they don't have one. So yeah. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't see where their game changes are. You know, like when when the game's on the line or they need a wicket. Obviously, Anderson's probably that bowler, but you got to stop relying on him. Like he's just done it for so long. He surely got to have someone else in the wings that's close enough to being able to do it regularly at Test level. That's where it's concerning. Is that they're hedging their bets on two guys that have gone around for a very, very long time. It's just not going to end well. when they both retire. You've got to remember, Broad's no spring chicken. Broad's 33, 34, I think. Yeah, Um, he's up there. He's no spring chicken either. They're going to, you know, leave the game behind very quickly. Um, You know, in the next five years, they're both probably not playing test cricket. Definitely not Anderson. 
Um, so yeah. where the next crop is coming through, and then you look at their ODI and their T20 side, and they're good. Like England aren't real. I know it's a different format, but surely some of those guys can take the step up, or they've got people playing in county cricket they can give a go to that has been killing it. But apparently there's, you know, they want to pick the same set of guys. And, you know, credit, they picked Ollie Robertson, who based on some good county form, and he was probably the pick, the pick of England's bowlers, but you don't have a spinner in the country that's not Leach, and I think his name is best, who bowls the half track at Offies. He took four for in, like, the, the Lions game, and then Carter for one for, like, 150 in the second innings. And it's just, yeah, yeah, I feel for Martinelli because he's been like, phased out now, and he was probably England's best spinner. I actually think it's sad, but I'm going to say this: Joe Root's England's best spinner on this tour. That's yeah, sad. It's sad. You can't win. A, <laughs> you can't win a series in Australia playing five seamers. Which is, if I was England, and we looked to who should play in this Adelaide Test, England, I think, should drop Leach and play five spinners, and just hope and play, pray that you get the I mean, five five yeah, pace so, yeah, bowlers, sorry, five seamers. Um, and you hope yeah. and you pray that you bowl at night. Like, for England, this is actually not a bad test match for them to get skittled for 150 because they can get a new ball under lights in Adelaide where yeah, it swings. Around. And you might have Australia five down in an hour and a half worth of play under lights with Henderson and Broad just bowling. But, um, yeah. I'll, can't win a series yeah, doing you that, can't. though. You're not going to win the series. Not every test is going to be a day-night test. Not every test the ball is going to swing. And what about when Warner eventually gets through half a session and you get to Woods and Wokes and... Ollie Robertson actually bowls really well, but and then Warner gets on top of you, and you know, then then in Australia it's like game over when that happens because Marnus, then Smith, and then Travis Head, who barely gets talked about at the moment, he made one hundred and fifty odd, and yeah, where, where you look, the difference yeah. is you look at Australia's batting attack and you go, wow, if Head and Cam Green got going, they could literally score two hundred in a session, and the game's over, right? And then you got guys that can yeah. bat, and when Carey's coming in at seven, then you're like, um, okay, sure, this guy opens. ODIs and he's coming in at seven. Yeah, great. You know, it's like Gilchrist. It's it's ridiculous. So, yeah, Australia has more X factor. Um, big news out of Australia is that Hazelwood is out. The bush horse is gone. Done side strain. Jai yeah. Richardson in. Would you have picked him? Um. Yeah. I mean, he's been around the team long enough now, so that doesn't surprise me that he's looked at. Um, it's whether there's anyone else. Yeah, out there, that's really knocking it, knocking it things down. So who do you reckon? Nisa, who is very similar to Hazelwood, one of those guys that just puts on a line and nips the ball around, um, went against England A's and took five for in the second innings of like five for 40 or something. Um, and was ridiculous. And apparently, but oh, yeah. unbelievably well for his thing, he took two for in the first innings. And he's been like knocking the door down, has the best shield um, average, I think, this year. Um, and he's always been up there. He's like Jackson Bird or Chad Sayers, like a specialist. You know, a guy that swings the ball and puts it on the last line of length. He's another one that's not going to get a look. Yeah. I feel like if, if it was Stark or Cummins that was out, Richardson 100% because he's exactly the same as him. Quick. And Richardson can actually move the ball both ways. I rate Richardson a lot. I would actually play Jai Richardson over Mitchell Stark in this first test, right? But I feel like with Hazel with the ball being out, you need that guy that can run in and just consistently hit the top of off stump. And that's Nisa, and he just took five against England A's. Imagine picking yeah. a guy that just took a five off. To then come out and play four days later, yeah, so that's fair. I feel like it was any of the other quick bowls Richardson in. I feel like because Hazelwood was the pick, there's the bowl that's now come out. I would have picked Nisa. They've gone with Richardson. That is confirmed. That got confirmed about half an hour ago. We're saying with David Warner starting, um, you know he's going to open the batting. So yeah, look, I think either way, Australia are going to probably win this Test match. It's just a question. This is a question if Broader Anderson are going to play, which they will, and a question if they drop Jack Leach, yeah. which I think England will, but maybe they won't. I'm not sure. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, I mean, I don't see this going any other way than Australia winning. So that's where I'm sort of leaning at the moment. So, look, it's going to be a wait and see for us, I think, long term um, over the next few days. We'll see um, how it'll go. Be watching very eagerly tomorrow to, to see how it'll considering unfold. Considering I'm going on Saturday, I would love to hopefully have it in the yeah. balance. And um, I actually, from a neutral point of view, I want to be there on Saturday and England be bowling... Saturday night Done Saturday something. night with, with the game on the line because I would love to watch Broad and Anderson just have Australia in all sorts as a live spectacle it would, yeah, it would be good, good to watch, watch. Um, as much as that maybe means that England batted well or poorly on day one and then Australia bats well on day two and then they take a new ball or Australia win the toss bat make runs England get skittled and Australia bat again I don't know but as long as there's a way where that's manufactured I would love to watch it from a neutral point of view I feel yeah, nice. 
All right, let's jump into some questions, yes, I reckon. Uh, first one, bit of reaction, I think, off of so the result I. this morning from Rods. Should Bielsa receive the sack? Short answer for me Same is no. Up. I think it's just they've copped United and City at peak of their form and had six and seven smacked against them. And I kind of feel for it. They've got so many yeah, injuries at the moment as well. Like, Leeds. squad. It is ravaged. Like, what do you do? And like, yeah. they don't even have any stability or any spine. It, 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 it might yeah. had a similar thing last season. The only reason we scraped around is we have quality. Like, we, I mean quality. We have still some world-class players in the park. Leeds don't have that situation. Yeah. When Leeds' spine's ripped out, yeah, it's they're, gone. They're scraping yeah, the barrel. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think that... I feel, I feel for him. He's obviously a quality manager. Uh, I don't think they're going to get relegated. I think they're going to get enough points in those do. games with teams around them. But they don't have the players when they're taking on sort of the no, top eight just get, just get at the it. moment. If it's not Rafinha doing it, no one's doing it. And like they had a good game against Chelsea. People yep. forget against that. Forget that. Imagine, yeah, they scrape a draw there. You know what I mean? If uh, Ailing doesn't make a dumb error kicking... Rudiger very lightly in the yep. back of the leg. Um, you know, they walk away with a point there and you go a point from Chelsea and City back to back. For them, it's probably good that they've just got those games out of the way. Yeah. Although they've lost both. They're probably happy that they get those two out of the way. Bang, bang, gone. Doesn't matter. Move on. Let's focus on games around us that we're going to take points yeah. in. I, I, I think that's I, better I, I alternative agree. for them. I, I think that that's kind of where Leeds are targeting as well. Just make sure they stay up. And- yep. Yeah, Bielsa will know. He's a smart enough manager to know that next year when he's got basically his full Arsenal back, he knows it won't be as bad. The only thing I'll say about Bielsa, which he probably does too much of, is he plays one style way too often. Yeah, he's yeah, set his, his way. And I think at the minute, they probably would be handy if they changed a few things for themselves. Like, maybe not playing out from the back as much. Especially or, without their players yeah, that can do it. Yeah, especially not playing out from the yeah. back as much, getting caught in possession and... You know, not maybe being as high a tempo and higher pressing because teams like City are just going to pick you off, especially when you don't have all your quality players around. Yep. I'd yeah. agree with that. All right, from JS, who should West Ham sign up front? I actually um, feel there's a bit of a reaction. Uh, JS has been complaining about Antonio a lot and now he thinks that they need a striker. I do think they need a striker, but is it to come and replace Antonio or play with Antonio or is it to provide competition? That's my question because I feel like. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh my God, Antonio's not scoring, not scoring. They've had a poor run of fixtures and now they've had maybe, what, a game where it's been good and then now they've got Norwich coming up and if Antonio bangs, then so be it. I think people just realise that Antonio went so massive. They've got Arsenal yeah, first. and like, Arsenal's like a bad game for Antonio. It, I think people need to realise yeah. that what Antonio did at the start of the year was like unbelievably, like Salah-esque sort of numbers. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. happen. And so yeah. people got to understand that Antonio's a good little asset for West Ham and is a good player. And you know, definitely suits West Ham. So I wouldn't. And brings, I wouldn't be going out. And he brings yeah, players around him in be, as well. I that, wouldn't be signing like. someone for forty mil to say you're coming in for Antonio because Antonio is done. Yeah, which is what I, agree. I think is what's being mentioned by um, by, by JS. Unless your plan is to move him back to the right, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Either I would just let that this be. Point. And, you know, it is what it is. So I think that in terms of the question, forty million. If I was going to go for someone. Uh, well, if Tammy Abraham was still fit and available being English, and if he wanted to come and they could get him for 40 million, I guess. I'd be looking at that Vlahovic at Fiorentina. Yeah. If you can That's get him, exciting. he's just scoring goals for fun at the moment. He's the one yeah. everyone wants, though. And if you're West Ham, you're probably yeah, not getting him. But, him. but I, I don't know. I feel like yeah. you're in a bit of an interesting situation, though, JS. I wouldn't change it though. I think the team's playing that well that I, I wouldn't. They, I wouldn't disrupt I it. You know what I mean? I'd just leave it. I don't think they're going to sign anyone. Really, nah. I think the only person going to sign is Lingard, and that's it. Uh, Maybe there's report, there's see that, happen. that happening, and I think it's going to happen. So. That'd be good for for Jesse too, because he's not really featured not um, under Oli or even since Ranić's taken over, he hasn't really played. So. You know, the writing's on the wall for him. He needs to to leave, and I think you know he's done his service at United. He's been there long enough it hasn't really kicked off for him so move on and forge a career for yourself somewhere where you, you know, appreciate it I agree with that and yeah I think the 40 million would more go towards not saying Jesse Lingard's worth 40 but it, just yeah. strengthening maybe the, you know the defence as well I think I think there's a point where you can only play with Ogbonna yeah, and I agree with that you know, too. Dawson and Passion whatever good form you've had like I feel yeah I feel like you, you, oh and Zuma you know like they've the guys have gelled well together. The fullbacks are obviously playing quite well at the moment, but I'd be looking at, you know, even if it's a young centre-back that you can can learn a bit off of Dawson and 
of Bonner and those guys. I think yeah, that's where um, that money should be spent. I agree. And second part of JS's two questions are why does Arteta treat players so badly? And the one thing I want to... I'll see if I can start off with this one. We only know what gets reported. Correct. So for me, there could have been three or four other incidences that he's gone... I don't want this to become bigger. I don't want this to become bigger. Twice now, he's had things that have kicked off that have alluded to him missing yep. games, and your, your captain can't do that. So I'm all for it. I don't think... I, I agree. I don't think there's been too many incidences where he's treated players badly. I don't think there's any, to be honest. I don't, he hasn't called anyone out that's not been justified. I, I think... He needs to go in there and show them, you know, this isn't acceptable. We're in the mud because of a mentality like this. And it's not going to surprise me if Aubameyang leaves in January because he's on big money, he's not performing. And this is exactly what happened when he left Dortmund. He was mucking up and he was doing dumb things and getting in trouble and and then gone. So it's not going to surprise me if... He's trying to force him his I, way out I, by doing I this stuff so too. too. So I think JS also mentioned like that Balogun being put in around the twenty threes. That could just be as simple as Arteta think he's not good enough and he probably deserved more under twenty three. Yeah. Like to me, that's well. That's why Nketiah is coming yeah, on ahead of him. There's, there's, a, there's reason. a reason. So I, I personally think that it's it's more because it's a bit of backlash to oh my god, you're like what are you doing this to a Bumiang for? And I'm like, apparently he's been late to training twice, fuck 15, 20 minutes late to training twice. And like these are guys that get to training an hour before training. It's not like, like us that just get to training yeah. before, slap the boots and off you go. These are guys that go see the physio, this, that, whatever. They, you know, they're there all day. So, you know, it's expected that they get there. Have COVID yeah, tests. exactly. So, uh, uh, and apparently what's coming out now, and this is just speculation, that apparently his mum's sick and he's been visiting his mum and then been going to training. Like, if that's the case, make it... Yeah, that, but you'd get that ticked yeah, off by yeah, the coach, if that's though. that's the case, you make it known, maybe make yourself unavailable for a whole week, right? Say, look, it's probably not best for me to be here at the minute because my mum's really ill, if that's the case. So be, it doesn't give you the right to rock up the training when you please. For me, if yeah. I'm the manager right now, I am telling Aboumiang you're not my captain and you're probably spending time in the 23s because it's not on. You're meant to be the leader of this club and we're meant to be turning it around. And he's not performing right? anyways. Yeah, I think so... Probably worth giving them yeah. some time away anyway. Yeah, it's disappointing. Like the fact that they've got two guys sitting in the club there that have been stripped of the captaincy kind of tells you the bigger issue with what's going on yeah. at Arsenal. You know what I mean? Between him and Jacker that are yeah, still there. But like, I just can't wrap my head around it. You know what I, I mean? Like, I cannot wrap my head around your two guys that have been stripped of the captaincy. They have to go. Well, they've given Xhaka. Well, Arteta, I mean, all that other stuff happened um, under Unai Emery with Xhaka. So Arteta's kept his, intentionally kept him around. He has given him a new contract. So um, I can't see a world where they give Xhaka the captaincy. No. But who stands out to you I've got one I've person got one in my person mind who I think in my mind and maybe different to yeah. you and I think it's a lot of pressure to put on a young kid but um, I that? think that Smith Rowe has been the talisman Smith Rowe has been like the forefront of all the players that like have come for the Arsenal Academy wants to play with a heart on a shirt and wants to drive this team forward and it may be a very brave and bold set to put someone that young in but it's a way to say to the club that well actually we're investing in this project we're going to go down this road of the project. This guy's a natural leader for what he does on the field. Make him captain at a very young age. I reckon he's the one after who I'm going to say, and I reckon it's Kieran yeah, Tierney. If he stays fit. I think, yeah, but I, even if he, if Smith Rowe becomes your vice captain and he can sort of be spoon-fed like those opportunities to be yeah. a leader, but at least it gives Tierney the option to take the, the criticism when it's harsher. Like, he doesn't have to be on the field all the time but he does all the responsibilities off yeah. the field I think that's probably the way to go too. with it and who knows how long yeah how long he's going to hang around I've seen a few people say Ramsdale I, I but again I wouldn't put I don't I wouldn't put someone that's so new to the club in though straight away his time for instance if it was Ramsdale and he's continuing yeah. on this form and I feel Ramsdale is going to be a big part of that dressing room for a very long time as well but like the leadership group would consist of Smith Rowe Ramsdale tyranny if he stays uh uh, I'm thinking like uh, yeah. Kamiyashi if he kicks on really well. I'm trying to think of the others. Uh, maybe you know he could grow into that role. Gabriel, another one if he stays there for a longer time. You got to get the right guys in in that leadership in that hierarchy, so to say. Uh, and I think that Smith Rowe. I would have said Lacazette, nah. but I think the the bridge is yeah, too I think, burnt. And I, I think, think he's, he's gone. gone so I feel like that. These younger kids need to be entrusted with a little bit of uh, of responsibility here. Responsibility, and, um, yeah. Look, if it's Tyrini, I wouldn't have any 
problems if I was an Arsenal fan as me talking on the pod that's actually a very good shout so yeah yeah cool and then the last question here is from Dim so not to get political but should the government in Australia invest more money into sport as we're seeing some fruits of our labour in different sports between NBA I wouldn't say soccer because soccer in this country is absolutely dog shit at the moment and cricket and I've read this question about 20 minutes before we, oh, not 20, maybe 10 minutes before we started recording, and we're yeah, broke. I know. COVID has ravaged the country. There's no money. It's ravaged everyone. There's no tourism. There's no opportunities for sport to develop. So I'm going to say a short answer is no because we haven't I got any money because there's a global look, pandemic look, happening well dim yeah shower the whole sporting sector with money and it'd be quite fair to the government and any previous government they have they do. money into all different types of sport plenty of money into grassroots soccer plenty of money into all the olympic sports and olympic years uh plenty of money into the afl yeah. plenty of money into cricket australia and they do their bit yeah would every like it to be more of course we would everyone would like it to be more is it gonna be no and it, they can't do it you know covid money not traveling around the government etc etc yeah, it's it's. There's other there's there's more important things in life than sport, which it's hard to say, but yeah. it's true. You know, there's there's funding being pulled from schools, let alone from going to to sport. You know what I mean? So I think things like tertiary education, keeping those costs down, or providing access to to just bare essentials to families who have lost jobs. I think that's a bit more on the the radar so. than trying to prom- promote the next NBA yeah, basketballer. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> so I, sorry to shoot that down so bluntly, but I think that's Where sort of yeah, what I'm exactly. here for. You're, you're, you're definitely <laughs> the one just... that's just going nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's just, yeah, in the, the global context of what's happening, it's just no, not going to happen. So I'd love it to, but doesn't matter. All righty. Well, once again, Damien, thank That's you for right, your company. Mate, anytime. You know, a lot of content coming out over the Christmas period as well. Paul is now on holidays. I'm a, I'm been like, because work gets quiet for me, I have the occasional day off now during the week, which is nice. And uh, look, if there's Perfect. plenty of content, join the Discord. You can come watch us all live on Twitch, YouTube, you name it. It's all happening. Come check us out in the Christmas period. And look, we'll see you guys for another podcast in the not-too-distant future, I reckon, Paul. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for the little summary there. What have we got? Episode 40 coming up next week. They are coming thick and fast. Thank you to everyone that's been listening, and we will see you next week for episode 40 of the PD Sports Podcast. Peace.